Greetings program. Hello and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie, Tron. This is Minute 34. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my industrious, dependable, and highly perceptive guest co-host, Connor Coulson. Welcome, Connor. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. So uh, I guess since this is your uh, first minute with us, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I was born 10 years after Tron. (laughs) So my history with Tron is a bit backwards because I, well, I had heard about it when I was very young. So in primary school, we were idiots and we had this idea of, did you know that Disney can make movies that are really boring? And (laughs) one of them was Fantasia and the other one was Tron. Like, in okay. our six-year-old minds, these were just the most impossibly boring movies that you couldn't watch. It was like a challenge to get through them. I could uh, dig it, yeah. The few kids who did watch, I mean, some of them hated it, but some of them went, oh, it wasn't actually that bad. You know, everyone was saying it was impossible to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. Children, waiting to f- figure out that cinema dogma exists, or just art house in general. <laughs> right. Didn't Andy Warhol do like a 24-hour movie with just filming one room or something? It's uh, it's a 12-hour movie, and it's the Empire State Building, and it's just yes. called Empire. It's a 12-time, a 12-hour real-time shot of the Empire State Building from like across the uh, across the street or something like that. Yeah. Well, I've been joking. I've been Strap joking with kids. a friend. Yeah, I've been joking with a friend of mine about doing a movie by minute uh, podcast of Empire. <laughs> right but oh it'll God. it'll it'll never happen i did the math and that's like five years or something like that so i forget oh yeah and especially the rate i do these shows but yeah. uh i think it would just unravel into like a Werner herzog-esque narration on an existential crisis that you're currently experiencing because you've put yourself through that film yeah and there's a certain attraction to that, you know, or you just get into mm. like the history of architecture and how it shapes society and just go down all these different rabbit holes, you know, and uh, I can see it becoming pretty esoteric. Art house podcasting. We should make Art it house happen. podcasting. Oh, yes. yeah. Um, so Tron Legacy came out 2010. So I was 18. Yep. And I think that was just the prime time I just... I was already really into science fiction and just genre in general. And when I saw those trailers, I just went, wow, what is yeah. this? And it really spoke yeah. to me aesthetically. It had the Daft Punk music. It was just everything 18-year-old Connor wanted out of film in general. And so I got really invested in it leading up to the film. And I went, well, clearly I must watch the the first one. Uh, and mm-hmm. I did. And... I think I was just a little, well, who is this aiming at? Because I feel like maybe it's a little too old, but a little too young to fully yeah. appreciate it. That's and, probably a really good take on it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll go into that more uh, in, in our minutes, but just trying to figure out what tone they were trying to achieve and what audience they were aiming at. I'm still, uh, it still eludes me. <laughs> I think it um, might have eluded. I think it also might have eluded them. Like I think yeah. you've hit on. You, I think you've hit on something here where they were trying to make a kids movie, but it was mm. about a fairly adult and complicated subject matter. So they had to sort of dumb it down into fantasy mode for kids. But they had all these incredible religious existential overtones, and it was talking about computers, which are complicated. So I think, yeah, they kind of hit on. Yeah, they kind of tried to end up. I think they tried to meld the two and make the best of both worlds and ended up with something that didn't quite hit either target audience. Oh, absolutely. It's it's a post-Star Wars movie, so they're trying to go for that a little bit. And yeah. then it's... When I finished watching the movie, I watched it again. So we were going to record this a week ago, and I watched the movie. And then I watched it again yesterday, just, just to make sure I was full, fully up on it. And I, I finished yeah. it and just went, this is The Wizard of Oz but yeah. about an intellectual property dispute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Because he wakes up from the fantasy and it's basically, you were there and you were there. <laughs> <laughs> and you were there? Totally. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the uh, little bit is basically a toto, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know who the uh, scarecrow would be, but yeah, I guess oh, there's four of them. Yeah, Ram? and then Toto would be bit. Yeah, I guess uh, Ram. I guess yeah, and then yeah, because you've got yeah, you got Ram, Flynn, Tron, and Yori, and then yeah. with Flynn, I guess Flynn would be Dorothy, right? Yeah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it kind of works out. Um, so, well, actually, I'll break it down, but later on, I just like editing. I want to get in there and and just make it punchier. There are so many moments where I go, yeah, why are you lingering on the shot? Why is there no yeah. music? What is happening? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's, true. It's a gorgeous movie. I well, especially yeah. especially now, I have a better appreciation. I think. 80s aesthetic has really come back in but watching as a kid yeah. i just go they look so weird and it yeah. looks really old and what <laughs> and i had it's seen, weird yeah i had seen a little bit of like parodies i should say i've seen parodies of uh especially the light cycle scene and family guy yeah and robot chicken and even that just why is there a wall behind the bike what is going on it was just of all films, that broke my tiny mind. I just did not get yeah. it until now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very high concept film. I think it's 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 got a weird space in it because it's so unique and so much in it is so groundbreaking and innovative that it doesn't mm. look like anything else. So it's kind of got this dated feel while at the same time being kind of timeless because nobody, it didn't start a wave of films that looked exactly like that. Like it's really unique. And a bunch really of the is. stuff, a bunch of the processes that they invented for this film, they improved on while they were making it to the point that they never used the processes for this film ever again. So it's kind of, yeah, a, it's kind was... of a, a wild one-off. I was looking into it, and apparently the first CGI, literal computer-generated imagery for a film was Westworld, which was only that's right. like five years before this. I think that's sort of mid-70s. Yeah, and that's right. And so that technology wasn't really used again until, I think, Tron. And yeah. I guess that would have been the technology they were improving upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in Westworld, what they used it for was sort of a, a fly-through diagram schematic kind of a thing of yeah, Westworld. Yeah, or the Yeah. Oh, was it Robot Vision? Wasn't that just kind of like infrared kind of stuff? Um, no. So what... Actually, I can uh, find you a link to a video I found on it. I think it was Vox. And they were talking yeah. about how at the time they had their first images back from... Uh, from the surface of Mars, and it was basically just a string of code that they had to translate into imagery one by one, one pixel by one pixel, and yeah. that's what they used for the the robot vision. But I think they also used it for maps and a lot of other background details. Yeah, I remember it being used for the maps and the background details. But I'll have to watch. I mean, I've watched Westworld recently, but I'll have to watch it again. Because I, I knew that really was like the first instance. It's a great film, and I'm glad I was I was a big fan of the series that it, that, that it ended up being turned into, as well. And I thought it was it's a good property to adapt to try to modernize. It's a great film. It's yeah. a wonderful film, and it, it's another yeah. one of those ones. It's it's kind of this hammy science, hammy science fiction movie, but at the same time, it's got these amazing themes, like a real depth of theme to it as well, like like being create creating life and and all that kind of stuff. Interestingly, I think Westworld and Tron have a lot in common in terms of you have this, yeah, the original film, very unusual, a little bit cheesy by today's standards, and then it gets this remake, which is just so much bigger and, and you know, visually yeah. it's very impressive. But I think I kind of like both. I could, if someone said, well, which yeah. version of Westworld or which version of Tron do you like more? I'd go, oh. Depends what I'm into on that day, really. Yeah, for sure. I I, I agree. Like I one like? one of them's not way better than the other. Like I think I think I see the parallels here for sure because users create programs, and the programs are taking over the users. You know, like the MCP here is like totally schooling David Warner on what it means to be a boss, and then he's yeah. like, "Oh no, this this creation of mine has run amok and taken over." And that's kind of what happens in Westworld too. And but at the same time, it's like, well, you've created a slave class. You want these 
programs to just run around and do your bidding and you've gifted them with too much power and now they're not going to. And also they have the right not to be treated like that because if they're actually sentient, then you shouldn't have them just running errands and treating them that way. So, which is something I am forever drawn to. I, I don't know why, but that sort of Miltonian Frankenstein story is something I come back to over and over again, I guess, because it is the very universal theme of who is my creator. And if you do know who your creator is, are they what you expected? And how do they treat you? And what's your relationship with them? And just all that sort of stuff is so profoundly universal, I think. Everyone has issues with parents or any other authority figures. And sure. when you are in a situation like... So in Prometheus, uh, so I do Prometheus by a minute. And yep. in Prometheus, you have the synthetics, the androids, uh, specifically David, who is created by Wayland, who wanted to make the perfect replica of a human being, but never really had any grand vision for David. It's just, you're a butler, you're going to serve my tea and do my laundry and all those mundane things, and to be this super sophisticated being, and to have a creator turn around and go, ah, well, I don't know, um, pick up that rubbish, I guess, like there's no big plan. (laughs) And yeah. watching Tron, well, the first one, the Legacy is definitely about, well, it's in the title, Legacy. It's, it is very much Paradise Lost. You've got Clue, yeah. Clue 2, who is basically Satan. And yeah. God doesn't really, well, I mean, in Paradise Lost, God is kind of an unknowable being, but he's kind of presented as fallible as well, which is very rare. And yeah. Obviously, Kevin Flynn is absolutely humanized. He's the most human character in these films. And for him to... I think what he... I mean, I don't blame the guy. He, he's very empathetic. And as you were saying before, these characters, these, these beings, these programs are sentient. And they should have the right to have their own lives and freedom and stuff. So that's what Kevin did. He created the new grid where they, yeah. they do not have a function within the real world they have a function within their own society it's like the sims it's not programs that do something literal for us it's well here's a, here's a city and you're a mechanic or you're you are uh, caster you run a nightclub you know that sort of thing yeah and that ends up kind of biting him in the ass <laughs> yeah yeah for sure yeah and then okay and... well here we go with sorry Let's jump into the minute. Okay. Uh, so in this minute, uh, Sark is continuing to be pretty flustered at the prospect of fighting a user. And the MCP gives him a pretty good work over, beats him up a bit, gives him a little bit of a whipping. And then Flynn gets thrown into his cell with Ram and Tron after... Uh, oh, yeah, no, he just gets thrown into his cell there with Ram and Tron. So continued from the yeah. last minute... Sark gets the news that he's fighting a user and he says it's just I don't know a user I mean users wrote us and then he gets a little sassy by saying a user even wrote you which to me is a very like one thing that keeps coming up in this movie is the the questions of existence and by extension questions of uh, theology you know, like mm. I think this is this is basically the way I see it is a high ranking cardinal or whatever the equivalent would be literally talking to his God. Yeah. You know, like down here on Earth, we have to go on faith or whatever, but he's literally having a talk with God and even bantering to him. And then to say to God, a user even wrote you has, I think, really big implications, you know, and even the MCP's pretty angry reply, like, no one user wrote me, I'm worth millions of their man years, implies that his creation was a group effort. Mm. You know, the end, the end result of work by a collective group, which is even more of a wild thing to kind of con- contemplate. Yeah, which, well, we do know that uh, was it? Walter initially made the MCP and then he was augmented or upgraded by uh, yeah. uh, Dillinger. 
So right. at least two people worked on him. But at least two people. It's it, it astounds me that for a film made in the eighties, it is quite faithful to how computers really work in a time where most people didn't have their own PC in their home, and it's sort of it, it's more like like an anthropomorphic representation of what goes in, on inside a computer. Sort of like there are movies that are an anthropomorphic representation of what goes inside your body. Uh, yeah. Like Osmosis Jones, those sorts of Osmosis things. Osmosis Jones, yeah. That Which was another one speaking... Movie. Speaking of what we were speaking about before, that was another one that missed its target audience. Oh, because yeah. Because it, it was the Farrelly Brothers, so everybody was expecting a gross-out comedy, but it was like a kid's movie for cartoons. But no parents yeah. would take their kids to see it because it was a Farrelly Brothers movie, and no Farrelly Brothers fans would go see it because it was a cartoon for kids. So it just slipped between the cracks and disappeared. But it was actually a really good movie. Yeah, it kind of found its home amongst teenagers who still like animation, but sure. like the gross-out comedy as well. So that's a very narrow audience there. Yeah, really, really enjoyable film. Uh, let's um, see here. I, oh, War oh, Games yeah. is the other one that is very similar yeah. in terms of it's the 80s. Most people don't even know anything about computers. And yet we have this film that actually plays by the rules pretty closely. I mean, obviously, there's, yeah. you know, you've got your MCP or you've got this, um, I can't remember what it was called in the in War Games, but just you've got this very intelligent AI. Oh, uh, uh, Joshua. It's called Joshua. Yes, that's right. Uh, do yeah. you want to play a game? And yeah. it's, well, even that's not totally inaccurate. I think it, it, both films discuss fears about AI that are very realistic. Where uh, last night I was playing Detroit Become Human, which I play a lot. But uh, yeah. Detroit Become Human is your typical cliche Hollywood plot of, what if androids had feelings and they fell in love and they wanted freedom and stuff? No, no, don't. Do we need this story again? Really? No. no, the real danger, and I think the MCP really represents this, is that AI is like a caged god and it is absolutely yeah. capable of running the world and maybe better than any human being can. Mm-hmm. And if... This came it, back from a search. <laughs> Whoa, no, What? <laughs> <laughs> it's on do not disturb my phone's listening to me yeah speaking of yeah good timing good timing <laughs> oh no google's gonna my take phone, over my, my phone just said they're on to us initiate mm. plan alpha b what does that mean like, uh, oh no get out of the house search? hang on I probably should just uh, humans are better at endurance uh, yeah, of running the world and maybe better than any human being can. Like, that's what it heard. Artificial intelligence. <laughs> this is the result. No, 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 oh, no. I don't want... Scary. <laughs> See, scary. this good. is Tron was bloody right. And it was yeah. what, 40 years ago almost. It was prophetic, yeah. Mm. And it does. I'm quite interested in how it handles that whole god create a creation thing it's not the way tron legacy does it it's not the way a lot of other movies do it no what it it's feels not. like more to me is and you were sort of alluding to that too is is mcp is more like a high ranking like a pope a bishop someone high ranking within the church um, no i was thinking sark sark was like a bishop or a pope oh right well, he's got the hat the M- you know yeah um, he's got the hat right and then the mcp would be like uh, in in all the in all the sort of theoretical models that i've i've sort of been kicking around in my head the mcp Hmm. is a god the mcp is the god right i was thinking and this is kind of a more cynical take i suppose is during especially the medieval period religion was this thing that was only really known to the clergy and so the average person did not have a personal relationship with god and so i probably put sark kind of he's a monk or maybe he's sort of a priest sort of on the lower levels there where he has a relationship and he has this understanding. But right. the Pope is the one who kind of dictates what goes on and says, well, I'm communicating with God and I'm telling you how it's going. And so he literally is. He has access to his creator, to Dillinger, to all the other humans. And so he's this um, sort of proxy between worlds. 
Um, and he, because he knows the reality, he's a bit more, he just has, has no reverence for human beings. He's like, oh yeah, no. they're users, but they're not what you think they are. Yeah. It's interesting because and... I, th- yeah. So oh, there's a bit yeah. of lag. So I, I often, <laughs> I often miss, I often think that you finished when you have it, but okay. Oh, I keep, keep doing going. that too, where I'm just like, and I don't finish. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, he's, I, I absolutely feel MCP is more of the caged God as well. So you've got yeah. a lot of allegories going on there. It's, it, there's a lot of, I don't know, symbolism, a lot of themes you can break apart just in his character. Well, that makes sense. I think what you're saying because I was thinking that if, if we're programs, if we're if we want to, if we like, if we're if we're going like if it's turtles all the way down kind of a thing. Like if we're if Tron is one level mm. and we're the level above it, then if we're programs and God is an omnipotent, all powerful program to put it in the context of this movie, that it insinuates mm. that a group of our creators created God, which sort of blows my mind a little bit, but. That's, you know, not mm. to get sacrilegious or whatever. But then what you're yeah. saying is that it, if the MCP is like the Pope, then that mm. sort of makes more sense. But um, it's just, it's the MCP being an amalgam. And he says, uh, no one user wrote me, I'm worth millions of their man years. Mm. That's a lot. That's a lot of time. And you that know? is absolutely the real terrifying prospect of AI is, and that's why right now when they do experiments, these super sophisticated um, machine learning programs do not have access to the internet, do not have access to cameras, microphones, anything, because they yeah. do not know how any external influence is going to, well, influence this yeah. AI, and if no it's idea. just going to break out of its box and run amok, so... Yeah. That's terrifying. But Very terrifying. And that to now, me should be the yeah. that should be the plot of one of the Tron movies, is because as far as I know, like in Legacy, they're still in a mainframe, they're still in a box. Yeah, like they're in, sort in, of threatening, you know, clues threatening to escape, but of I guess that was saved for a third film that we made. But he doesn't yeah, like I think Clue doesn't understand I don't think Clue knows about the internet. <laughs> True. Like Clue, Clue Clue's trying to get out through the laser into the real world in Legacy because he wants to invade the real world, but he still has no idea that he could port to the internet and take over the launch codes and everybody's bank accounts or whatever, but he still, he doesn't know about that. So he's still trying to get out through this weird bottleneck into the real world. And I sort of thought, man, that would be a good movie if he was exposed to the fact that there's there's a means for him to take over the world. That means he doesn't <laughs> like Wreck-It really. Ralph breaks the internet, but it's clue. <laughs> I, yeah, I watched, I watched Wreck-It Ralph breaks the internet and I was like, this is the sequel to Tron that I was kind of hoping for. This is, this Basically. is exactly it right here. You know, <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. I think that clues kind of thinking too small in that he, yeah, he's still, that's the thing. He it's kind of come tragic. out through one tiny port where, okay, if you're a sophisticated AI, you could literally redistribute the wealth however you wanted globally. You could yeah. get into every yeah. single bank account on the planet and you could make it totally equal to the cent yeah. in every bank account. Or you could be yeah. like, oh, I'm just going to give this person unlimited power and take power away from this person. You could, you don't even have to get out of the grid. You just have to have access yeah. to the internet. Yeah, that's what always bothers me about uh, movies like you know, Avengers Age of Ultron or uh, oh Ascendants God, yes. or whatever, where I'm just kind of like, once the AI is in the internet, it's, mm. the movie's over. Like, that's game it. Game over, the, man. Yeah, game over. Like, you've lost. You, you're just, that's it. They're, they're, there's no, you can't stop them now. You know, like. I think that's a profound idea, just for sort of tapping on it. But the idea that, so a human being makes this virtual world of these sophisticated AI individuals. They're all individuals. It's not like the Borg. It's just a collective. It's, you know, everyone on the grid is a person. And you as a person in the real world could be talking to an ISO or a program through the internet and not even know it because it's just an anonymous account, you know? (laughs) Yeah. No, I love that whole, the whole idea of it. And I hope that there's a movie that comes, maybe if it's not even a Tron movie, but I hope that there's a movie that comes along in the next 10 years or whatever that really sort of nails what that would look like. They might have already done it over in an anime or something like that. I know they get they can get oh, pretty esoteric and deep, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, they're way ahead um, of us in a lot of respects. Ghost in the Shell, sort of. Although it doesn't yeah. really go into pure AI that often. No, um, but it sort of did. And boy, I love that. That was really good. Yeah, instead, I don't want to go into too much of a tangent, but the standalone complex episode where people are just living in a movie, basically. Like, it's a VR yeah. world, but they're directed by a director. Yeah. Um, so good. Anyway, we should probably well, get back to the minute. Yeah, okay. Get back to the minute. I tried to do a little bit of math on what millions of man years would look like. Uh, so. Wow. Oh, my God. That's, like, exceeding in all our progress so far. <laughs> so... Right, there's two. I'm in Canada right now. We've got 261 working days in Canada per year, mm. so that's eight hours a day times 261 is 2,088 man hours. So one person gives 2,088 hours a year. So two mm. million man years times 2,088 hours per year equals four billion one hundred and seventy-six million hours. My God. So. <laughs> One person would need to work over 4 billion hours to make 2 million man years. A thousand people would take over 4 million hours to make 2 million man years. A million I mean, people would take... You just look at the entirety of human history and what are we doing 2,000 years ago? We didn't even have arch support in our shoes. We didn't We didn't even yeah. know about the brain yet. You know, well, I think, right? Hang on. No, yeah, no, about 2,000 years ago... Egyptians were still pulling the brain out of the nose thinking that it was just stuffing. <laughs> yeah, that it was just stuffing, that the true intelligence lay in the heart, I think, or something like that. They thought it was yes, all in the chest. Yes, which makes sense because when you feel something, you're not feeling it in your head, you're feeling it in your chest. Yeah. Yeah, so it says here, uh, yeah, a million people would take 4,176 hours, uh, which is two actual real-world years, but I doubt a million people worked on the MCP. So I'd say a more realistic people would be... Well, yeah, 500 people would take 8,352,000 hours, which is 4,000 real-world man-years. Mm. It gets pretty... So... like Okay, 250,000 people would be eight years, and I suppose with a massive staff coming and going, and if the MCP had started out as a chess program in 1974... That would make some sort of real world sense, but still, oh, I think see, it's... I interpret it as he is like machine learning. So basically, he was created by a couple of humans, a dozen humans, who knows how many. But then he was able to improve upon himself, and when he oh, was able okay. to do that, you hit a post singularity kind of concept where it's able to surpass human performance by a million fold, basically. Right, he's going, he's got, he's uh, like speeding time up with his own improvement and cycles and iterations on his own in a way that... And I think he... cycles are, oh, well, we do know in uh, Tron Legacy, you know, that uh, was it like 30 years past in the real world and then hundreds of years, some people speculate, past in the grid. Yeah, it's not, it's not one-to-one. -one. There's a, there's a, time is passing much faster inside, yeah. Really, yeah, this movie... an AI would only limited by well, I mean, obviously how powerful the the hard drives are that it's on, but eventually yeah. we get to a point where the the speed of light and how fast the the actual electrons can travel in the machine that's basically its only limitation, and that's yeah. profoundly terrifying. <laughs> that's profoundly terrifying, especially if we crack that. That's like, uh, mm. okay. And uh, now but I'm I also wondering think... if God was created by just a team of lesser beings who just didn't know what they were doing. Well, there's a there's an argument for that, right? And I think there's a real-world argument for this world being a hologram. I've heard that mm. um, math being put forth quite a bit, like in terms of the strange way that electrons and atoms act and how they're mostly empty. It's mm. like, well, none of this makes sense. But if we were a hologram, like a massive one, it would and it's like the sort of socks simulation i would like another one thanks <laughs> yeah yeah well then it gets I back can't to the... even fly just like the matrix right like we made it yeah. a paradise and people kept waking up you people def <laughs> you people define yourselves through your misery you know there's a lot to be said for that too but i also yes, think maybe very much so it's possible that the mcp is just lying that it's just a boast that he's just like, oh, mm. I'm worth a kajillions of their man hours. 
you know, like don't talk to me like that. He's I'm, having a Kanye West moment. You know? <laughs> yeah, or like uh, or like the wizard, right? Like don't look behind the curtain. Oh. You know, like I oh, am, yes, I, I am the, the great that? and powerful MCP. I don't know if we said that on air. I can't remember if I said that before we started recording, but I'm, I'll say it I again. Th- I think we talked a little bit about it being the Wizard of Oz already on air. Okay, right. Okay. If you need me to re-record so, yeah. that later, it's fine. But uh, yeah, okay. I, I think we did. But um, yeah, yeah so, so going yeah. back to that Wizard of Oz theory, yes, there's the man, the, the, the giant green face, and there's a man behind the curtain, which you do see at the end, which is really spooky, and I don't understand yeah. it. <laughs> I don't understand it either. I know I've got that actor, but... Um, He's not. I thought he would be David Warner, but he's not David Warner. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I, we probably shouldn't jump ahead. That's not my minute. So, sorry, right. that's I way, way away. It's a ways away. Yeah. All right. So, what do we got here? So, I was thinking. Well, yeah, I was thinking it was just like if he's lying, then that's also a sign of intelligence. Like, I think if you're mm-hmm. saying something that you know is not true, then that needs an inherent duality. Like if yeah, but he is I don't know able to be manipulative. He's able to be like saying like I am more than than you, but what if he's not? What if he's actually a fair amount more advanced than Sark, but he's lying about the level of advancement that he has? He's self-determining. He's self-governing. He is. He has. A, he has a sense of identity, which are all very sophisticated. Uh, well, what we think of as human qualities right now. So, what you could say is that the MCP crosses over into artificial consciousness rather than simply AI. Um, okay. Which, so the definition, it, it, I mean, it's a theoretical concept for now, but what they theorize is, so AI would basically be everything we tell it to be, but an artificial consciousness would be able to learn and think for itself and have its own judgment, which is something that, especially right now, absolutely eludes us. Just how human beings are able to do that. And then you go into this whole thing of, do human beings even have free will? Are we just very complicated machines? And yes, uh, I didn't expect Fron to take me down all these avenues, but here we are. (laughs) Well, it's like like that, uh, that episode of Star Trek when someone is saying, hey, if data freaks you out, just remember that you're also a machine, only electrochemical in origin instead of yes. silicate. You know, and, and I was like, going oh. to mention the next generation um, that, or just aesthetically and in terms of costume. So I, I should say that uh, costume design, I, I'm a fan of AI, but I have no experience with that. But I am a costume designer. I studied it and I've, I've worked on short films. I've worked uh, school plays, theater, this, that, and the other. And I, I absolutely love the language of costume and growing up. So I was very focused on how characters are dressed. And when I was a kid, first seeing The Next Generation, first seeing Tron, I just went, what the hell is this? It's hideous. It's so dorky. Ugh, who would even design that? <laughs> but as an adult, you have the context, well, especially as someone who is interested in fashion, fashion history, costume history, I should say, watching those now, I just go, actually, this is genius because I have the context of 80s fashion, first of all, but also what came before and what it was trying to convey. So the next generation is trying to be more like a uniform, looks more professional, more structured, but it was actually designed by the same guy who did the original series designs that I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Mm. But uh, it's basically trying to be more streamlined. He wanted to have no seams and all that. Wade Thice? Not Wade Thice. Actually, I've got the Star Trek costumes book, Five Decades of Fashion, right here. Wade Thice did the costumes for uh, the original series, and he was the one that was famous for making all the fashions for the women on the planets that they went to he said if you want to make a costume look sexy look like it's about to fall off at any second yes, the, with this the with the slightest thice. right oh yeah these are yeah that's right um titillation theory which is basically it's you know a, a very structured bikini even as beautiful and as revealing as it is 
it's not exciting because you go, well, that thing's not moving. Whereas if it looks like it's about to fall off, oh, well, suddenly you're watching and waiting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's um, why, yeah, all of his all of his designs were kind of like that for sure. But he actually designed the TNG uniforms and he basically said he was very happy to be ha- have that opportunity again to design those costumes because I don't think he was ever happy with the TOS ones because they do just sort of look like just really casual it just looks like everyone's wearing yeah. what they wear around the house it doesn't look like a uniform yeah. um actually they kind of look like sailors and i guess that was sort of the intention that was but, sort of the intention yeah. yeah but with the tng uniforms it was just you know very streamlined very futuristic actually it reminds me of the batman beyond aesthetic where it's just there's it's just all in one there's no seams yeah. there's no folds there's no crease it's yeah. just Perfect. And of course, reality doesn't work that way. So the first no. few seasons, oh boy, you put Paul Patrick Stewart. Yeah. <laughs> backbreaking costumes. Um, yeah. With modern fabrics and stuff, I think we could absolutely do it without it being an issue. You see what they make for like the MCU movies. We can do it now. But back then, yeah. not so much. Yeah, we can and do I it think now for sure. Tron is the same thing where it was ambitious. What they wanted to do had never been done before in terms of making these costumes that look like they light up, but they don't. It's kind of, I think, what's the word? rotoscoped. And yeah. um, I love the fact that they're these repurposed bits and pieces. It's hockey armor. It's just leotards. It's, yeah. you can see where it all came from. And I think they, that's and wonderful. With the, and it's like, with the circuitry on the leotards, they like literally drew on the leotards with Sharpie. Yeah, it's. I love it. It's beautiful, right. and it's a shame we we've lost that now. You know, again, looking at the Marvel costumes, and they are just on another level. They are so incredibly alien in terms of the way they're even manufactured that yeah. you can't relate. Whereas I watched something like. Or any older movies and you see props and costumes that are obviously sourced from something existing and I just that's more fun to me and Tron has this almost it's like Sin City meets community theater in that yeah <laughs> yeah oh really... my gosh that's such a that's so good <laughs> Sin City meets community theater that's Tron in a nutshell right there yeah, where the visuals and stuff, it's, you know, they, they've filmed it in black and white, they've painted over the top, it's really fun and innovative on that level. But then with the costumes, it is basically, okay, uh, we're going to order like a dozen white jumps, uh, cat suits or leotards, no, unitards, I should say, God, I should hand back my, uh, my certificate. <laughs> Actually, it's a degree, it's weird that it's a degree in costume, but... That's how it worked. So my degree in costuming. And um, you could, well, yeah. Basically, I think they taped the the light circuitry on the armor bits and literally just drew or painted onto the leotards. Like, that's what I would do. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. They were trying out all this new stuff that had never been done before. So it was just like, hey, this this would work. And you're like, hey, if I was making an eight millimeter film in grade eight, that's what I would do too, you know. But uh, and it but works right on, so you know? well. It works well. But to get I back love to how the, simple and effective it is. It's very effective, and I and I, I like I like the way it looks. Uh, so, but the amount of effort that went into creating the finished product is is Olympic. It's monumental. Yeah. But, so here we, well there's so more post production on this than Tron Legacy because a lot of they yeah. wanted to do as much of that in camera. Yeah. And again, those costumes. So actually those costumes are designed by um oh I'm blanking his name now. Um Michael Wilkinson, who's actually one of my favorite costume designers. He's worked on Batman v Superman, Watchmen, uh Moulin Rouge, I think a couple of Marvel movies. Like he's one of the top guys. He's kind of he's been involved in progressing genre costumes in a way no one else has. And I mean, as much as I love those Tron costumes in legacy, they're impossible to make unless you've actually got those kind of resources. Whereas anyone can make a Tron costume. That's yeah. There's something beautiful yeah. in its accessibility. 
there's an effort you need effort and time and you need to have a steady hand but pretty much yes. anybody could make a make a 1982 tron costume so, so i do have back... other notes but uh i think i'll save those ones for, for later so yeah maybe we should uh, wrap up this minute well let's go through i want to go through the um the rest of the minute yes we should we, we got stuck okay. on the mcp and had an we existential stuck crisis on the yeah and I had so, to wear costumes to calm myself down again. <laughs> <laughs> Sark tries to weasel out or look for a branch of possibilities in the future and starts to say, like, well, what if I can't? And the MCP is on him immediately saying, you'd rather take your chances with me, which is pretty harsh. This MCP mm. is a pretty harsh disciplinarian. I'd rather he had, like, a, a backup plan, but it sort of seems to insinuate that Sark is maybe all that the MCP has. And he's maybe freaking out a bit. Or that he's like yeah. a bad boss, you know, like he's he's a he's a beat he's like a, a beatings will continue until morale improves kind of boss, you know, mm. and uh, and so I think I mean I like people I've I've heard it said that people quit their bosses not their jobs, you know they mm. like their job but they hate their boss so that's why they quit, and I think that that's pretty true for the large part but Sark can't really quit. You know, and yeah. I, I think I'd like to I'd like to see a sequel where Sark escaped and went rogue and became a hermit or something on somehow hit his identity and gave up his power and went off the grid or something. Yeah, I, I'm I, wondering I, if Flynn transferred. Well, I know we he obviously transferred Tron and that's in my notes and I'll, I'll talk about that later. But I'm wondering if some other programs, maybe Sark got uh, transferred across into the new grid. I hope so. I mean, that's one thing about Legacy is they had Cillian Murphy as the son of Dillinger, who yes. seemed really adept adept at programming in the boardroom there. And then, uh, and then that's it. Bye. We never see Cillian Murphy again. And I'm like, oh, please make him be son. Of, I want to see son of Sark so bad, so bad. Yes. And Cillian Murphy, Cillian Murphy could give us such gravitas. And uh, yeah. Oh, sure. correction. It is Cillian Murphy. Oh my bad, very my bad. Yes. Okay, I always thought it was. It's one of those things because it's it's Irish, so it's it's like the Celtic Celtic. It's yeah, but uh, uh, all bets are off. Yeah, when it comes to yes. this, you're he, like, he oh, that's Killian. how it's pronounced. Okay, yep. <laughs> if he says Killian, then I I will from here on out it's Killian. So, yeah, I've been uh, there because I was like I, I I was a fan back in the day, and I just uh, didn't have any idea. But I was like, oh yeah, he's great, <laughs> whoever he is. <laughs> <laughs> but and yes, then, Sark. Uh, well, I guess Flynn never really saw that nuance. He all he saw was a villain, whereas Sark really is just sort of this underdog who is between a rock and a hard place. He he's in over his head. That. This scene yeah. really makes it clear that Sark is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a douche. He's a bad guy. He's got yeah. the same. It's a very similar scene as to what Dillinger experiences in the beginning. Like yes. Dillinger's like Dillinger's like you wouldn't dare, and the MCP's like I'll expose you to the world if you don't do exactly what I tell you. Not get me a coffee, you know. Like and, so, both uh, and, in in the real world and in the fantasy, you know, Dillinger Sark, they are being pushed around by the MCP. Yeah. Uh, Tron and Alan Bradley, you know, they're quite heroic. They're uh, kind of a leading man type, and then Yori and um, oh. Blanking on name now. Uh, Lauren, is it Lauren Bailey? Uh, the, with the, the doctor? No, hey, the, the, actor's, um, the actor's name is Cindy Morgan. The character's name is Dr. Laura. Dr. Laura Baines is the name of her character. Laura Baines. Um, Although you never, you, you have to go into uh, the novelization to find that. In the screenplay and in the movie credits, she's just referred to as Laura, which I always thought was a little bit of a shame since she like co-created the laser and she's like the head of that whole project. And Like, please, yeah. just call her call her doctor i mean jeez yeah come on uh so yes in, in the in in the in the grid you've got yori in the real world you've got laura and they're both women <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's basically it uh yeah. i don't have yori minutes but i i'd have things to say about her characterization yeah it's very unfortunate because in the real world dr <laughs> laura baines is pretty headstrong and she brings them together yeah. and she's really cool and she's in charge of the project and she doesn't take any lip from anybody and she sort of shoves people around and she's the she's the girl that gets it all going the one that gets this whole yes. thing started and uh and she's the only one that knows and has the respect of dr walter gibbs alan bradley and flynn and then mm. and then but unfortunately her character yori in the machine is uh not exactly everything that 
Laurie. Laura a character. She's barely a character. <laughs> barely a character. Yeah. But okay, to get back but, to the to the minute. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. Um, so the MCP can't just control other programs, and that's really interesting. That. Well, I guess because that that's the whole premise of this world is that they are individuals. Which makes me wonder, so is this how it works in every computer ever? Is that what they're implying? Or is the grid something unique? And so now programs are becoming too sophisticated. So now, even if you've got this very sophisticated artificial intelligence, consciousness, whatever you want to call it, it can't take over the other programs anymore because those two have evolved to a certain point of consciousness. Yeah. No wonder I didn't get this as a kid, because it's just... I don't understand anything about real world technology. I don't appreciate the eighties yet. So I think there's people <laughs> there's nothing that, here for me. There's a lot of this people a lot of people saw this movie and thought it was pretty shallow. And mm. I can get how a lot of it would go over a lot of people's heads, you know, because um And I think I, it's because not, of that pacing that yeah. you kind well, the, of it lose really, it a bit. It slows down. And uh, around about uh, two thirds of the way through it slows down quite a bit. Um mm. But then we get the, the the punishment here where the MCP says, want me to slow down your power cycles for you? And Stark starts to... Sark, sorry. I keep calling him Stark. And Tony then, Stark, uh, yeah. Uh, Tony Stark. And then Sark starts to pulse and stutter as his power gets sapped. And I imagine this whole grid has to be like surge protected and backup batteried. Like a, a, a blackout on this world would be an apocalypse, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure in the in the Lawrence Livermore labs where this was filmed, they uh, they totally they totally have it all backed up and stuff like that. So there's no such thing as a power outage because they need all that. Now this is the power bay where the MCP juices Sark up and gives him with like super electricity to make him the strongest warrior on the grid. But um, mm. it's a I think it's a shame that we don't get to see him in action before the end of the movie like i want to see him in everyday battle possessing tons more power than your average program or see someone try yeah. to make an attempt see someone try to make an attempt on his life only to be like effortlessly rebuffed and derezzed um and he's sort of but right I, now it's just like he sort of just like knows the mcp and is high up in the organization you know i don't really get a sense of the someone, power maybe someone working on tron legacy had the same thought because you definitely see that with clue he is you yeah. know, uh, the the regent up on high, but he's also able to get out into the grid and just slay programs. Yeah, definitely. And he just, like that one guy who loses the disc if, in the end. If that has changed just in our ex- expectations in film, especially genre film, that initially, like you look at A New Hope, and it's mostly a bunch of guys in uniform sitting around, you know, in a boardroom, essentially having meetings. Uh, Darth Vader doesn't really... He, he pulls out a lightsaber at the end, fights everyone really slowly. But for the most part, yeah, it, the villains are just kind of like Sark. It's a, lot, or it's a lot more political power rather than physical power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think it's a, a creature of the time for sure. Whereas nowadays it's like, oh, I'm Ultron, a sophisticated AI. Also, I will kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah, yeah. And then here, as he's getting his uh, power sucked out, he leans back and lets go of the power handles, but still impossibly stands, like Michael Jackson in the Smooth Criminal video. And I think this might be uh, this could be a throwback to when, in the script in the book, he was in anklets. He had boots that were ski boots that were connected to the floor that he would step into. And that's how oh. he got his power. And that's also how they would punish criminals is they would put them in the boots and they would be, you know, evil power coming up through the boots to torture them into into talking like where clues being interrogated in the original scene back at the beginning mm. of the movie. Um, he wasn't up. He wasn't stuck to a wall by his back. He was trapped in these uh, these boots that were derezzing him from the ankles up. So this might be a callback to that because because Sark's leaning back in a way that's not possible, and then and then he comes back up. I think and I actually had a look at the Tron novelization and it was super dense. I can't remember who wrote that. Oh, it's uh, got it right here. Brian Daly, who went on to do a bunch of the Star Wars novels. 
Oh, right. Because I was like, uh, well, if one in doubt is probably, uh, what's his name? Uh, Peter David, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, I like this MCP line here is my favorite. He's, uh, what does he say here? What do we got? <laughs> he says, get this clown trained. I want him in the games until he dies playing. Acknowledge, you know, that whole, whoops. They know what clowns are. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a weird choice uh, of, of words. For the MCP to use the word clown, I think, is a very strange a very strange choice. The dialogue is a little odd for David Warner's characters, in particular, I noticed, because Dillinger sort of says, well, actually, in Sark, too, like, things like, nice or cute or what's up yeah and it's sort of yeah. quite well either american because i don't think it's specifically age you know i think anyone can sort of pick up on that slang but it's either american slang or it's more youthful slang um, i'm not sure i think it's just well there's bits and pieces of the original script that almost had 1930s slang like yeah. they were talking to each other like i'm gonna go over there see and you better stop with you you better cut that out mister you know like all this kind of stuff that was happening that got taken out but i think there's still some little tiny throwbacks in there that it's still talking like a like a serial from the 20s instead of uh instead of this i mean they're just going with archetypes but i think yeah strange to have like mm -hmm. the npc refer to flynn as a clown is a little too human and he's like like get this jackass out of here when i, I would have <laughs> expected something more like fix this anomaly you know, or something yeah. like that. But maybe this is better. I don't know. It humanizes the MCP and gives him more intelligence and less roboticism. But um, I don't know. Well, maybe it shows that he does, he obviously does have an awareness of the real world, communicates with human beings. So maybe that's sort of trying to reflect that. He's picking up on some things. He's going native a little bit. I want to see, uh, if he's aware of clowns, then there better be clowns in the grid. <laughs> I, I want to see some Tron clowns. Oh my god, and the hair lights up. <laughs> oh yeah, the hair lights up. Oh yeah. Maybe instead of throwing their identity <laughs> desk, they throw their nose or something like that. That would be... Yes. Or it would be pies. It would be Tron pies that they would throw around. I was going to talk about the identity desk, but I will save that. We've we'll go, yeah, we'll stuff. go. This is... We've... We've gone, we've gone deep. This might be the longest one we've done so far. So anyway, Stark, Stark struggles out a week, acknowledged master control, and the MCP lays down the endlessly satisfying end of line. And then we cut to <laughs> Flynn getting thrown into prison by a guard that says, in here, program. And Flynn responds with, hey, who you call in program, program? He's very funny. Very funny. Yes. And then uh, he gets thrown into the cell, getting the attention of Ram and Tron. And Ram says, new guy. And Tron wearily responds, another free program offline. And I wonder what piracy would look like in the Tron world. Like I haven't really seen that explored yet. Like you'd run oh. into, you'd run into a perfect copy of yourself one day and be like, uh, "Hey, wait, you're not me. You're an unlicensed copy." You know, like and that would be something yes. that would be kind of wild to, uh, to explore. You're not Sony Vegas. I'm Sony Vegas. Uh, I'm Sony Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> At the, it's either uh, that or Photoshop. Everyone steals those two. Yeah. At the end of the. At the end of the minute, I usually like to go over the differences in the novel and the screenplay to what's actually on the screen. So in the novel, Sark's conversation with the MCP is pretty much verbatim. Uh, Sark mm. gets referred to as the Red Champion, which is pretty cool. It also reminds me that 1982 was still in the Cold War, so Red was always also seen as a lot of the bad guys were red because that was the color of the communist superpower or whatever. And then we get a it's scene. It's funny of the... how forevermore, I think red will always be associated with sort of negative political ideologies, sadly. Yeah, yeah sadly. Um, well, I guess like in China uh, and Japan too, I think like red is a very, and in actually India as well, uh, it's, a, it's a very positive color culturally, it's a, yeah, it's I a, think. a color of luck, right? You know, like. Yeah, in the Western world, it's sort of like, oh, communists used it, Nazis used it. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, color theory is, uh, well, you, it, being a costume designer, you must have been neck deep in color theory for a lot of your oh, stuff. Oh, yes. Um, like, my favorite story about color theory is they were trying, they were trialing this new uh, cold medication, and obviously there's the daytime ones and the nighttime ones. And usually the, the blue ones are for nighttime and the red ones are for daytime because we think of red as a, as a vivid color, a lively color. Um, not in Italy. 
in Italy, their sports team, their soccer team, is blue. So for a lot of Italians, the association was, oh, blue is, is lively and, and passionate and fun, and red is the nighttime one for whatever reason. So they had to swap oh. it around. Interesting. Yeah, very strange. Let's see here. So Tron getting thrown into the cell makes him realize, oh, sorry, Flynn getting thrown into the cell makes him realize that he can feel things here and that time seems to be passing at a relativistic rate. Uh, oh, so yeah, he's I, like, okay, oh, this God, is Oh, God, I keep thinking happening. of things to say. I know, I got to... <laughs> Uh, he, he mentions that he's probably not seeing in the 3,700 to 7,000 angstrom, angstrom range and that he wasn't eager to think about uh, the rest of his bodily functions. He thinks about the term user-friendly, concluding that this place is not. He thinks reality is a matter of opinion and we're all wave fronts on this bus. And that leads That's him to think like about... That's just like your opinion, man. That's just like your... Exactly. Reality is just like your opinion, man. And that leads him to think about uh, Dr. Laura Baines and Dr. Walter Gibbs's experiment. And then that's when he starts to suspect, oh, I think I know what happened. I got sucked in mm. here by that laser. Um, and then... I always oh, hear th laser beam from Austin Powers. <laughs> I will till the day I die. <laughs> freaking, freaking laser beams. Do they at least have a bad disposition? Um, one thing I was wondering is... Like, well, angstroms are a wavelength unit, a wavelength unit of light, and so mm. the visible light spectrum goes from around four thousand to seven thousand angstroms, as Flynn says. But I'm not sure about the other body functions, though. Like in this movie, we see programs drink, and in Legacy, we see programs eat. But do you think yeah. it just like wa wafts out over their pores or something, or does it fix parts of their code that are running down? I'm kind of fascinated by the eating and drinking in the grid. Oh, you know? same. Uh, which no, I will get no, into. So I do plan on doing the Tron Legacy Minute uh, after yes. I do Alien Covenant. So I'm, what, minute 83 of about 120 of Prometheus. Then i got to do Covenant. Then I can do Tron Legacy. Or maybe I can do both oh, at the same okay. time if I'm, if I'm an absolute madman. Oh, my gosh. Just That's ambitious. That's ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I keep watching that scene where they're having dinner and just going, but, but Why? How? Yeah, but Is why? But what's, there's this in the very beginning of Tron 1982. The tank driver Clue has a sip of a yellow drink as he's driving mm. around, and it's like pure an energy drink of some like a literal energy drink. Gatorade. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. So they because I remember that was one thing about Legacy. I'm like, they're eating what? And then I was doing this movie. I'm like, oh, they drink here in this movie too. Mm. So there's the programs are eating and drinking, and I endlessly curious about that okay is it sort of like video game characters so you're playing the witcher and you're damaged in combat so you're like okay here's my chicken sandwich yeah <laughs> in this i'm all moment. i'm all better yeah and then in the uh in the screenplay it, this is one of those things about the dialogue that gets changed like in response to sark saying a user even wrote you the mcp says now get this straight pal no one user wrote me i'm worth a now couple of millions straight, pal. Yeah, right? You know, I'm bigger than all those little wimps put together. Humans can't even keen that keep their social order in one piece. You know, so he's using terms like wimps and get this straight pal and it's all Yeah. All a lot of the dialogue was kind of like that that got changed for the changed for the movie. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, I I, well, I guess you're probably referring to the script as you go, and I always look. Yeah. I do that with the Prometheus. There's actually two initial scripts for Prometheus, and just okay going through that and seeing how it evolved. I think that's the thing. Most fans have a totally different relationship with a film or a TV show than the people who worked on it. Sure, uh, and that's never more apparent than Ridley Scott and what he took from Alien compared to what everyone else did. Yeah. And I think reading scripts is the best way to get a bit of an insight into that and see, well, how did the story evolve? What were they originally setting out to accomplish? Oh, okay, so this scene evolved into this, and they sort of twisted things around a bit. And I, Yeah, it really... I'd recommend anyone, does, if you're a big fan of any movie, you might want to go and check out the script if you want to just have that better insight or a bit of an insider insight into it yeah all right so that takes back. us about hold back 
<laughs> that takes us to the end of this minute. And uh, so uh, where can people find you if they want to hear more of you right now? All right. So Prometheus by Minute, you can find that on anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, but I have a Facebook page if you want to come and hang out and chat. Uh, that's just Prometheus by Minute. And then there's TraviandDesigns.com, T-R-A-V-I-A-N, where I post the podcasts, uh, my costumes, my illustrations, concept art, all that sort of stuff. You can find it there. If you want to get in touch with us, check out more at TronologicallySpeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at TronologicallySpeaking. Send us an email at TronologicallySpeaking at gmail.com. Or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Tron Minute by Minute listeners page. Special shout out to Pond5 for the music. And special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminutes.com and see if your favorite movie is there. If it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very fun and engaging community, and I highly recommend the experience. Do you want to try a little end of line on three, Connor? Definitely. <laughs> okay. One, two, three. End, end of, of line. line. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Thank you.